This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And our regular guest, especially on a holiday time, is Rabbi Daniel J. Glassstein's prolific writer. His ninth book is out. It's called The Concealed and the Revealed, uh, published by Art Scroll. He has also a Hebrew version called Sefer Margaret Harakia, also with Adar and the Purim holidays, which we are in the midst of that season right now. He's the Rabbi and founder of Mahom Magid Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. Thank you for joining us again. Hi, good evening. And thank you. I enjoyed your book, The Concealed and the Revealed. So let me ask you a question. You know, we have holidays that we have Pesach, the Passover one, because God skipped over the house of the Jews. It's related to the holiday. We have Sukkot because God had us in these protective clouds or actual Sukkot. Purim deals with the lottery. So what is, it doesn't seem to have the same symmetry as some of the other holidays where we were saved. And we weren't saved because of the lottery. We saved because of other factors in the Purim story. I know you talk about it in the book. Yeah, that's an excellent <laughs> that's question. <laughs> that's an excellent question. And that should be like, that should be the first question that any thinking person asks about Purim. As you mentioned, it's really not typical in terms of the line of uh, the names of the other holidays. So this question is actually raised by the Bnei Yisachar, and the way I came to it, Rabbi Vadya Yosef quotes this Bnei Yisachar. So to me, that was unusual that one of the Sephardic giants would quote a, a Sefer of Hasidus. And the idea, the basic idea is understanding why did God save us? We we sinned. We Mordechai told us, don't go to the party. We didn't listen. And that was considered a very severe transgression. So why and did God commentary is out if it was kosher food or not kosher? I've seen some sources say it was kosher food. Some people said it wasn't, but obviously there's there's a difference of opinion about that. Yeah, but you know whether it was kosher or not. But you could imagine the uh, environment of the party if the king is ordering his wife to come out unclad. You could imagine this was not a a party with uh, according to the standards of uh, the Beis Yaakov movement, shall you say? So. They were told not to go, and they went. So why did God save us? So there's an idea that God saved us just out of love. And when we, when we think about that idea, why, why does Hashem love us? Why does Hashem? Don't we have to earn it? Don't we have to deserve it? So I remember one time I, I told my son, Naftali, hey, Naftali, you know why Daddy loves you? He said, uh, he said why? I said, because I do. He said, uh, Daddy, that doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't. It's uh, It's sort of... Well, but you can say you love me because he's your son and God loves us because we're his children. So exactly. The, the reason why God loves us is because we're his son, we're his child. And we're Hashem's chilek. Like the Pasuk says, Ki Hashem amai. the chilek of Hashem is his people. We're his, we're, his, we're his share, we're his portion, like we're his number one draft pick. In fact, you know, like the number one draft pick, you're wearing the suit, you're wearing the hat, and God is. We say, God, who are you going to select? I select as my number one draft pick, the Jewish people. It's sort of just fact of life. We're we're not his biological children, but the this form of Kabbalah say that there's something intrinsic about the Jewish soul that it is literally a piece of the DNA of the divine. So the reason Hashem saved us is because we're his lottery pick, basically. We're the the Medrash tells us, Targum Yonis Menazel brings us, that when Hashem created the world, he created 70 nations and the Jewish people, and there's 70 angels, and God said, okay, let's 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 everyone pick your people. You know, every, you could choose. So 
one angel picked North Korea, you know, bad decision. One one angel picked uh, Iran. One angel picked Russia. One angel picked Ukraine. And God, with his number one pick, picked us. And there's an idea that annually this draft pick um, occurs every year. And God did, did, the, did the angels pick or was there a lottery? Because in your book, you write about the fact that there was a lottery to pick which countries they would go to. So it seems like, you know, you, you picked the the lot. In other words, you oh, chose. They, picked, in other words, they didn't pick the country. They picked the lot, uh, which turned yeah. out to be the country. Okay. Right, but I won like, Iran. I won Russia. Yeah, but it seems like God did choose us. He selected us specifically. So we being his lot is the reason why Hashem saved us in the times of Purim. So the reason it's called Purim is we were saved because of the the fact that we are Hashem's uh, choice, whether we deserve it, whether we don't deserve it, irrespective of our actions. In fact, Hassam Sofer even brings, you know, what would you say is the the most notable miracle of the Purim story. If you had to isolate, if you had to identify one miraculous event, that that is the miracle of Purim. So Sam Sofer says, what the fact that Achishosh killed his wife, in ancient times, the kings were always killing their wife. The fact that he married Esther, okay, she was a beautiful woman. He, he liked her. The fact that Mordechai overheard the plan to assassinate the king, each isolated event it's hard to make the case that it was an outright miracle. Hassam Sofer writes, the miracle of Purim was that at the time we were sinning so severely and we deserved to be exterminated. At that precise moment, God was paving the way that if we repented, he would save us. So at the time we were sinning, Hashem was knocking off Vashti, putting an Esther in place to pave the way for our salvation. The fact that Hashem's love for us was so was immutable, that he was looking to save us at the time we were sinning. And Hassam Sofer says this is really the illustration of the opinion of the great Tanner Rabbi Meir, who holds that irrespective of what we do, we're always considered the children of Hashem. But wouldn't that, listen, the fact that we're always children of God, we can say the same thing about Passover, about Pesach. The fact the angel said, these are idol worshippers, these are idol worshippers. Why are you drowning the Egyptians, saving the Jews? So this is not a new theme. This is a common theme for God saved us because he loves us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, actually, you know, we, uh, you must want to bring me back for another Sefer because I have a Sefer <laughs> on the Tana Rebbe Meir Balanas and on his opinion that we're always the children of Hashem, and how it's brought out literally in every single Yom Tov, and how it's uh, it's really a main theme. That's why Chida, I'm a very big, uh, I'm a v- big Chida fan. I don't know if you could see uh, in the back over here, I have two rows of Svarim, all the books of the Chida. The Chida lived 83 years, and he wrote 83 Svarim. Um here, you know what? I'm going to do something a little unconventional now. But I have this great book. It's called Sefer Magal Toiv. This is the book of the Chida's travels. Chida made two major travels throughout Europe where he went each time to approximately 150 cities each time. And the Chida was one of the great Jewish travelers of all time. And he would travel to various libraries, manage memorize the manuscripts and there are many teachings let's say for instance of Meiri 
that the Me'iri was not published until this century, the 20th century, actually the 20th century, but the Chida 200 years ago saw the manuscripts of the Me'iri and he quotes the teachings of the Me'iri in his Svarim. But the Chida was a prolific writer and he ultimately moved to Livarno, to Italy, where the printing presses were and where his sponsors were. He wrote many, many Svarim. The reason I bring up the Chida is the Chida's yard site is Yod Aleph Adar. Shabbos is the yard site of the Chida. He's one of the most... Uh, Interesting personalities uh, of all time. Um, what makes him so fascinating to you? Well, first of all, the fact, uh, a few things. The, the number of svarim that he wrote, the subjects that he wrote about. So he has a sefer about his travels. It's a diary about his travels, where he writes about his visit to the Tower of London. He writes about how uh, the economy in England was plummeting because of the American Revolution. <laughs> he, he writes about uh, visiting the Queen's Jewels. He writes about Versailles when he went to France. He writes about various uh, gedolim that he met throughout his journeys, like the Pnei Yoshua. He, he writes about uh, the pirates that he, that he uh, tried to uh, hijack his ship. So he's a fascinating personality. He also is considered the father of modern-day bibliography. So he wrote a work called Shem Hagadolim. In Shem Hagadolim, it has two parts. In part one, he lists the names of all the rabbis who lived before him in alphabetical order. Hundreds, thousands of rabbanim. Then he lists in alphabetical order the names of all the sfarim that were written before his time. Now you would think he must have been sitting there with a computer and, you know, punching in Aleph, Aleph Bays. No, he wrote this, first of all, when he came to Italy, he was in quarantine. He was in something called Lazaretto. So he had no Sfarim with him. So he wrote the entire Shem Hagadolim, which is considered the first production of great bibliography. He wrote the entire book from memory, Listing wow. all the rabbis who lived before him and all the books that were ever written before him. He wrote the whole thing in 40 days from memory. So he had a photographic memory. Apparently, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, whatever happened with him and the pirates? Uh, <laughs> somehow he escaped that ordeal. He called the Pirates of Malta. <laughs> Actually, this is volume one of his travels. And uh, here you have a map. I mean, he started off in Israel. He went to Cairo. Uh, then from there he went to Livorno, to Italy, throughout France, he went to England, then Amsterdam, then Holland, then Germany, back to Italy, then through Turkey, and back to Israel. Wow. <laughs> and he, wow. It, each journey took uh, six, seven, eight years. He was collecting... Well, they really have time to write though, every, all these books if he was on the road or the ship all the time. It's, it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And wow. so he wrote on halacha. He wrote Berke Yosef, Machzik Bracha on halacha. He wrote on Chumash, many Svarim, Pnei David, Chomas um, Anach, Nachal Kidumim. He wrote encyclopedic works of just different concepts, Midbar Kedemois, Devash Lafi. So he wrote 83 books and he lived 83 years. Wow, amazing. I don't think people know enough about the Chida, but it sounds like. He was brilliant and he was accomplished. And did he write he's any a secular great personality books? And he spoke many languages. Did he write any secular books too? 
Um, not that I'm familiar with. He wrote a book on travel. Um, what else? He wrote um, on Tehillim. He wrote on on different Masechtas and Shas. He wrote Shaila Suchuvais. He wrote, you know, I'll, I'll share with you something interesting that he says. Um, I think one thing that he says really sums up his life. And he has a Sefer Avodas HaKodesh, which is like a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch of sorts for Svardim. He writes, I don't know why I remember this, but in Ois Kufnon Gemal, he writes that for someone who doesn't waste time, there's time for everything. I think that really sums up his life, you know. He didn't waste time and he had time for, for everything. But one interesting thing, we know there's an idea when, when uh, the Gemara recommends saying, Amen Yehishmei Rabbah, with all of your strength. But nobody really does that. I mean, if somebody would walk into a shul and, and answer Amen Yehishmei Rabbah on the top of his lungs, he would probably be escorted out and then maybe hospitalized, institutionalized, it's not, you know, you can't really answer Amenia Hishmei Rabbah. Like, so we sort of, I don't know, we, we, in our minds, we dismiss it. It means like, you know, give it a good shot, but it doesn't really mean with all your strength. So the Chida addresses us. He says, and when you answer Amenia Hishmei Rabbah, you should prepare yourself and summon all of your strength as if you're going to answer with all your strength. But when it comes down to it, you have to do it in a, cordial in a respectable way but but prepare yourself muster that energy as if you would be answering it with all your strength so he always has a very uh, novel take on on uh, things rabbi daniel j glatstein is our guest prolific writer he has written his ninth book the two of them are on purim the concealed and the revealed in english he has a companion in hebrew he is also the founding rabbi of machon magid harakia in Cedarhurst, New York, we're looking at Purim, Rabbi Glassin. So what I'm always intrigued, it's called Purim. And we have another house called Yom Kippurim, which according to the way I've learned, and I know you address it in the book, is like Yom Kippur is like Purim. Even though you're right, Purim is like Yom Kippur. There's another way of looking at it. But certainly there's similarities and also disparities between these two great days. Yom Kippur is considered or was considered to be a happy day in the Jewish calendar, even though it's a day of fasting and the days of Talmud and the Mishnah. I think there used to be a, a dating day, uh, which we don't have. We don't do that anymore. But let's look at the contrast and also the similarities between Purim and Yom Kippur, which is greater. Yeah. So literally, Yom Kippurim, it's a day like Purim, which which seems to indicate that Purim may even be greater. Uh, there is a teaching of the Ari that the light of Purim is unprecedented. There never was or will be such spiritual energy as there was on Purim, which seems to indicate that Purim has a certain spiritual power even that surpasses Yom Kippur. But like you mentioned, there are similarities, but in a way they're they're polar opposites. You know, Purim, we spend the day in Su'uda, we have a festive meal, we drink, and Yom Kippur, of course, we're fasting. So in that in that sense, they're exact opposites. So there's an idea that the, the Vilna Gain and his students bring out is that the day the Torah was given was Yom Kippur. Because the first Luchos, we know God gave us on Shavuos, but they didn't quite work out because uh, Moshe broke the Luchos. So Hashem, Moshe said, oh, come on, let's try this again. 
So Hashem said, all right, come up again. So Moshe goes up on the uh, first day of Elul, and he comes down on Yom Kippur, and God gave us the Torah on Yom Kippur. You know, we don't think of it that way, but the day of the giving of the Torah was Yom Kippur. So the question is, well, when do we celebrate the giving of the Torah Yom Kippur? So the, the students of the Gras say, well, we can't celebrate on Yom Kippur because you can't eat. So Purim is the Tashlumen. Purim is sort of the fulfillment and the makeup for the rejoicing of the giving of the Torah on Yom Kippur because Purim, in effect, was also a day of receiving the Torah. It's the day we accepted the Torah out of love. So Purim, so to speak, makes up for what we didn't do on Yom Kippur. We also find another parallel. Yom Kippur was an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. And that sin, God took, the Jewish people didn't know what our punishment was going to be. Moshe was in the heavens, and God said to Moshe, Haref mimani ve'ashmidem, leave go of me, and I will destroy them. Similar language we find in the Megillah. Lahashmid, laharogul yabed. So, we were going to be, the destruction of the Chet HaEgal, that only took place in the heavens. God told Moses in the heavens, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people. So therefore, when we were saved, we celebrate in a heavenly way by not eating. The destruction of that was impending in the times of Purim, we knew about down here in this world. We knew that Haman had planned Lahashmid Laharogulyabed. So therefore, we were saved from that. We celebrate in this world. So Purim is like the earthly version of Yom Kippur. So they parallel each other. Purim is, so to speak, the physical earthly version, and Yom Kippur is the spiritual heavenly version. They're sort of two sides of one coin. Or you have, we're supposed to serve God with joy, so Purim is that culmination of what more joyous day in the Jewish calendar is Purim, which brings us to really to God, because you're supposed to serve God with Simcha. Yeah. But there are also differences also is that on, on Purim we have the fast before we eat. In Kippur we eat before we fast, right? It's uh, Yeah, that's also a, um, a converse of um, Purim. We also yeah. wear masks on Purim and some say we mask on ourselves in Kippur. We parade ourselves as being pious people on Yom Kippur. Actually, that also brought down there. there I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts comparing Yom Kippur and Kippurim, but certainly it's a it's a it's a thought that goes beyond just wordplay. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Any other similarities or things that we should consider between Yom Kippur and Purim? Well, we know that uh, on Yom Kippur, the... There's lotteries, of course. Our, on our sages, yeah, well, the, the, the lottery of the Sarla Azazel, but our sages say it's a day, She'im by Kinna, Ve'im by Sachras. It's a day, there's no jealousy, there's no strife, there's no competition, it's a day of unity. So that Purim as well was uh it's it's interesting that Haman's great accusation against the Jewish people were Yeshno Am Echan We were disparate, we were fragmented, we had no unity. And the way we counteract that is Esther said, Okay, Lech Kinosis Kalayudim, we have to gather together in, in Achdos. The Vilnagon points out that throughout the Megillah the tense of the word is unexpected. Let's say, for example, Nikalu Hayyudim Vamoid. It says they gathered plural, the Amoid. It should say the Amdu. No, the Amod, the Vilnagan says, Or um 
other instances where it should have said a lashon rabim, it says a lashon yachid. The Vilnagon consistently points out that the in order to counteract Haman's accusation against us, we had to gather together. That's one of the reasons for uh, Mishlach Manos, to show the unity of the Jewish people. Actually, there's a very interesting uh, dispute. What is the reason for Shalach Manos? You know, what, what's the reason for that mitzvah? There, the, there's a dispute between some uh, Rishonim, the Shumasadashan says, it's to make sure everybody has food for the Suda. The man, you know, it's interesting, Rabbi Shlomo Al-Kabetz is the author of Lechadodi. He wrote a famous commentary on the Megillah. It's called Manos Halevi. There he says, no, the, the purpose of Shalach Manos is to show friendship, to show unity. And actually, it makes, it has a halachic ramification what the reason for Mishalach Manas. You know, let's say, Zev, uh, I want to send you Shalach Manas, an anonymous Shalach Manas. So you open it up. What do you like to get in Shalach Manas? What's your favorite food? <laughs> okay, we could have wine and kugel. Okay. Wine and kugel. So you like wine and kugel. You open it up. Who is, who's the giver? Anonymous. Do I get the mitzvah of Shalach Manas if you don't know who it came from? Well, it all depends what the purpose of Shalach Manas yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. If it's, if it's to make sure he has food for the meal, I have it. If it's to promote friendship, I don't know who you are. I can't be your friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so uh, usually we try to fulfill both reasons, but there are many, many, uh, you know, or can I fulfill Shach Manus if I send you two books, you know? so if Food, it's, food for thought? Yeah. <laughs> so if it's to prevent uh, promote friendship, maybe it would work. If it's to have food for the it doesn't work. So that's a major discussion in the halacha. What's the uh, what's the purpose of uh, shalach manas? Isn't it brought down that they used to send shalach manas around Rosh Hashanah time? I think the students to the rebbe's. Isn't that also a concept? Yes. Uh, in the in the Sefer Nehemiah, it talks about they used to give manos on on uh, Rosh Hashanah. Actually, the Prichadash, who was the rabbi in Jerusalem, he he codified that you should give. Uh, Mishlach Manas before, before Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Actually, there's an interesting thing that the Chida brings down. He brings that Purim, as you said, which is the happiest day of the year, is the source of all the Yom Tovim. How so? The word Purim stands for Pesach. Okay. He writes, Visukos. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. cheating a little bit. Okay. Yeah, cheating, right? Um, Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur, and Matan Torah. So the B'nai Yisachar the Vav, come on, the Vav stands for Vizsukos, I mean, that's not, uh, and he has a whole exposition how the letter Vav is the perfect uh, letter to symbolize the Yom Tov of Sukkot. But there's an idea that Purim is really the source of uh, all joy. And, uh, you know, you, you had me on Tisha B'Av time, and I had the opportunity to speak a little bit about my grandparents' miraculous survival uh, from the Holocaust. But it's interesting, my grandfather, who passed away at the age of 106, his name was Mordechai, because his bris mila was on Tanis Esther. And my grandmother also didn't know her day, the day of her birthday. So both of my grandparents, who survived Amalek, celebrate their birthday on Purim. And actually, my grandfather, when he was in Auschwitz, he, he, he saw Haman. He saw Eichmann. And... You know who Eichmann invited to into Auschwitz? He invited the Mufti from Jerusalem. And the two of them were embracing arm in arm. The, 
and uh, the Jews would pass in front of them and they would beat the Jew in a way to make sure they would not be able to have children. That was their entertainment. So my grandfather brought from the Svarim of Kabbalah that if Esav and Yishmael ever, ever got together, they would destroy the world. The Vilna Gaon says, if Esav and Yishmael would ever join forces, they would destroy the world. That's why at least, you know, America and Iran, they're not good buddies. If they would ever come together, they would destroy the world. My grandfather said, you want to know what happens when Esav and Yishmael come together? That's Auschwitz, the Mufti and Eichmann. And I heard Rav David Cohen of uh, Brings that that's why it was so dangerous when Achashverosh and Haman got together. Because Achashverosh is Paras, which the Maral always explains that Persia is Yishmael, and Haman is, is Esav. So when Esav and Yishmael come together, you have a Gezerah of Lahashmid, Larogul, Abed. So we have two times in our history, we have this union of Esav and Yishmael. You have Achashverosh and Haman, and you have Eichmann and the Mufti. And the case of Achashverosh and Haman, their plot was thwarted, because Achashverosh was was a foolish king, at least that's who he's brought down. Unfortunately, Haman, and then the form of Eichmann and the Mufti, but the Mufti got involved later on, and it was only for a short period of time towards the end of the war. But the yeah. fact that they got together, because logically, the Nazis should have hated the Muslims, just like they hated the Jews. But when it comes to killing Jews, that's where they were able to get together. Rabbi Daniel J. Glassin is our guest. Uh, he's written nine books, uh, the latest two are on Purim, called The Concealed and Revealed. Uh, he's also the founder of the Rav Mahom Magid Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. One thing intrigues me, Rabbi Gladstein. We know that the holidays are connected. So, for example, we spoke about Tisha B'Av, and we have an Atbash system and, and relating to Pesach. So whatever day, the first day of Pesach, which is Aleph, it corresponds to the test of Tisha B'Av. And we were able to pick out, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. Now, Purim is also part of the Atbash system, but in other words, the way it works is whatever day the first night of Passover is, so if it's Sunday night, then Tisha B'Av is Sunday night, and all the other holidays are subsequently. However, when it comes to Purim, it's not the subsequent Purim, but it's reflective of the Purim that was passed. Why is Purim different in the system of Atbash? Mm-hmm. I think that Purim, its counterpart is Lag Ba'imer, actually. The counterpart for Purim? Purim, I think Purim and Lag Ba'imer come out on the same day, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. so actually this year Purim is Tuesday, right? And Lag Ba'imer is Tuesday. Yeah, so there's a there's a connection between Purim and Lag Ba'imer. Um and there's a remez in Tehillim, Peleg Eloikim Malay Mayim. Peleg, Purim, Lag is full of Mayim, it's full of Chesed. Both of these days, the Midas Hadin was uh, sweetened. Before I go, can I share with you what I think is the most stunning discovery on the Megillah? Yes, and then I have yeah. one more question, I have, and we'll wrap up, yes. Okay, okay. This I always say is my favorite. You know, the Megillah ends very inexplicably that Achashverosh taxes the people. That was my question. I was going to ask you. Really? Why? Yes, why it ends is in taxes. You so know, I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up. <laughs> Maybe because um, is around April 15th. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what comes around goes around. Well, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So I said this over Saturday night at Malava Malka. Somebody told me they had this question for 50 years. They never got a good answer. This is out of this world. 
I mean, first of all, he tags me it's irrelevant information, and B, this is just a bizarre ending to the story. Okay. The theme well, the of the... They said we should also check in the annals of Paris and Madai. Yeah, I mean... Check the history books. That Why do we need to know that he, he enacted taxes, and why do we have to check it out in the history books if the Megillah is what we need to know about the Purim story? Oh, excellent. So, so this is really remarkable. The theme of the Purim story is God didn't just thwart the plan. Every plan of Haman, God used to backfire against Haman. Haman made the gallows 50 feet, 50 almost tall. Haman's hanging on the gallows. And there are many examples that every plan and scheme of Haman came back to haunt him, came back to backfire against him. I was learning Sefer Ezra. And in the sixth chapter, we read about the aftermath of the Purim story. The Jews return to the Holy Land. They want to rebuild the temple. The problem is they don't have any money. So they turn to the king, King Darius. They said, Darius, help us out. So Darius said, all right, I'll help you guys out. And it says he opens up the treasury and he gave them all the tax money. And I ask you, where did he get all the tax money from? And the answer is, The story ends, Ahasuerus taxes the people. He dies, his son inherits it, and he funds the building of the second base of Mikdash. But watch how the Purim story has come full circle. The story begins, Ahasuerus is celebrating, the 70 years are up, and the temple, which was supposed to be rebuilt, will now never be rebuilt. And by the end of the story, Ahasuerus has become the chief fundraiser to rebuild the second base Hamikdash. But it's even more than that. If you were to ask Ahasuerus at the party, what are you celebrating? I'm celebrating the eternal destruction of the temple. And God's laughing. No, just the opposite. This party, you're going to knock off Vashti. You're going to marry Esther. You're going to have a kid, Darius. The party is going to cause the building of the second base on Mikdash. So that's why the grand finale of the Megillah is the taxing, the irony of Ahasuerus taxing the people because ultimately it's, it was put to use to rebuild the second base on Mikdash. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Before I let you, can you describe the relationship between Haman and his wife? <laughs> it's like very strange how it's portrayed in the Megillah. So perhaps you can shed some light onto that relationship. You know that that must have been some some uh, marriage made. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because it seemed like his loved ones. He asked them. You know, it's it's like it's very very confusing. And there's even been Russian that he had like fifty kids. It's like a whole. He had a lot of kids. He had a lot of kids. More than just the ten that we know about, right? It's Actually, like... <laughs> you know, in the Targum Shani, he brings that he was the one who advised Ashurish to kill Vashti because he wanted Ahasuerus to marry his daughter. And the Medrash says that all of a sudden his daughter started emanating a really foul odor from her mouth, and Ahasuerus couldn't take it. But, uh, yeah, I think we, we need some uh, clinical uh, psychiatrist, psychologist to analyze their uh, that marriage. And also the Megillah is full of the Midrashim is so elaborate. I, I think there's probably more Midrashim on the Megillah Sester than there are in maybe any other a work in Judaica, right? That's <laughs> it's a very beloved story, you know. It's a very, very beloved to the Jewish people, even halachically. If you hear two people reading the Torah simultaneously, you're not Yotze because you can't concentrate. But the Gemara says, Megillah, I did the Chavivi, it's so beloved, you could even hear two people reading it. So I think, uh, no matter how old you get, 
it's always there's some something very special about the the Purim story. If I could just end off, there's an amazing uh, line in Chassam Seifer, which is based on the writings of the Ari, that the spiritual light of Megillah's Esther is almost, if we could say, greater than the Torah itself. Wow, there's a lot, a lot of beauty. Listen, it's also something enjoyable that people can learn, and there's always new insight, new midrashim that you can glean from. What's your next book going to be? Okay, God willing, the next book is uh, Haggadah, which is uh, it's already available in pre-order for Art Scroll. And if I may, sure, if anybody wants to uh, order this uh, the book, the revealed and concealed. It's now on sale for Arts uh, by Art Scroll. You could go to artscroll.com. You put in promo code REVEALED, R-E-V-E-A-L-E-D, and you get 15% off. If anybody wants the Hebrew Sefer, Magad Horakia, you could go to our site, rabbidg.com, and it's available with free shipping. So uh, I'm really happy I met you last year on Pesach. Yes, 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 yes. I enjoyed it very much, and we've had throughout the year. You enjoy you You listen to your svarim, your books have such insight. And really very comprehensive. Even the story of the Megillah and the month of Adar is covered very comprehensively, covers so much ground. So it's and it's easy to read, and there's so much information that's being brought in there. Final question is when are you writing a book about the Khida? <laughs> I'll take that as a I'll take that as a bracha one day, Bezas Hashem. All right, thank looking you. forward to it. Anyway, thank you, Rabbi Daniel J. Glassstein has written his tenth book is coming out just in time for Pesach, and his latest one in English is called The Concealed and the Revealed. You can find that from our scroll. Thank you for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. Have a Freilchen Purim, a happy Purim. Thank you very much. All the best. Call to Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.